the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Welcome to What a Life with Paul Batura. Paul is a best-selling author, writer, Fox News contributor, and vice president of communications at Focus on the Family. This is a show about the extraordinary value of every life. It's a show about movers, shakers, and culture shapers. And now, here's your host, Paul Batura. Well, thank you, Dr. Bill and Clarence Oddbody, Angel Second Class. The angel, of course, from the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, every life does matter. You and I know that. And you and I are standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's something to consider every day, but especially this weekend, right ahead of the Independence Day holiday. In fact, you know, we celebrate on July 4th. But for all those precision nerds out there, and you know who you are, I get emails from you. You know that the United States actually declared its independence from Great Britain on July 2nd, 1776. But our show for the next hour will feature conversations with two remarkable people. We're going to talk with Tim Gagline, who's an author, orator, former White House aide, a fellow vice president at Focus on the Family, and my friend. And then we're going to speak with Phil Grucci, who is the CEO of the company Pyrotechnique by Grucci. Grucci fireworks are the gold standard when it comes to July 4th celebrations. And then we're going to wrap up with a very rare recording that I can almost guarantee you've never heard. But first, Tim Gagline. Tim heads up Focus on the Family's Washington, D.C. office. He's been in Washington for over 30 years. And oh my, does he have stories. Tim is the author of several books. His latest is just a perfect read for July 4th. It's titled Toward a More Perfect Union, The Moral and Cultural Case for Teaching the Great American Story. Tim, thanks so much for joining me today. It's really a pleasure and honor, and especially on the cusp of America's birthday. Thank you, Paul. Well, Tim, I've been wanting to do this a long time, so thanks for giving us the time. What does July 4th mean to you? July 4th, 1776, uh, is America's birthday. Uh, This is uh, indisputably uh, the case. July of 1776 was, by any objective measure, a very important day, Paul, uh, in the history of the world. Uh, You know, most countries, the overwhelming majority of countries, let's say even in the 21st century, the ones, say, who have membership at the United Nations in New York, the overwhelming majority of nations do not point to a day and say we were born that day. It would be nearly impossible to say if you were a French person, that France was born on this day, uh, or that, if I may say, England was born on that day. But we have a definite uh, day of birth. And what a remarkable and glorious day for freedom in the history of the entire world that day was. It means a lot. And I've been very privileged on a number of occasions to be uh, in the manuscript division of the Library of Congress and to be able to look at George Washington's diary uh, for uh, July of 1776 uh, and to read those page by page, I, I, I always get a chill when I'm looking uh, at, uh, at the uh, diary 
of one of the greatest generals, one of the greatest presidents, of course, but one of the greatest generals uh, in the history of the world. It's it's a remarkable day. It's America's uh, birthday. Mm. And and, you know, Tim, we have the advantage of of time, of course, and, and we know how things turned out. But those men living back then didn't know how it would turn out. Right. I mean, they it, this was a risk. They they were living fairly comfortably here in, in the colonies. Uh, some say probably life had never been better. And yet they wanted something more. You know, when I have uh, stood multiple times in my life with my wife and sons, uh, on the banks of the Delaware River. Uh, and I think of the Battle of Trenton. Uh, and I think of what happened in December of 1776. As we know, Paul, it was a close run thing. It was not a given uh, that we would defeat uh, the British in the Battle of Trenton. And you think of the providential uh, series of things that happened that allowed General George Washington to get into those long boats. Uh, to go across uh, the, the Delaware, to head to New Jersey, the Battle of Princeton to this day. You can go to Nassau Hall at Princeton University and look at the site of the Battle of Trenton, which which we have done, uh, and, and to, to really feel the texture as an eyewitness to history. But, Paul, a lot of people may know that remarkable December, uh, you know, Christmas, Christmas Eve, uh, incredible story of the Delaware River. But they may forget or not know uh, about something that's very close to your heart in your uh, home state and the place where you grew up, the Battle of Long Island or the Battle of Brooklyn, whatever you choose to call it, this remarkable providential fog descends at the most pivotal moment uh, of the American Revolution. And that fog allowed George Washington to escape. Uh, and when the fog went up and the British looked across, they could not understand where had the Continental Army gone. And it's indisputable uh, that, uh, that, that, it, that a fog of that nature on that day, which allowed uh, the American revolutionaries to retreat and to escape and to fight another day. I mean, this all goes together in the providential composure uh, of the founding uh, of the United States of America. Yeah, you know, I know you and I have both uh, separate times stood there and looked across that river. And to think that the fate of America hung by the uh, the wind and by the weather is just a remarkable thing. But to your point, it, it, it for sure speaks to a... Um, a divine hand on that uh, on that effort. It, it really does. And I'd like to pick up on that, if I may. And I, I'd like to share something that, again, uh, many folks may not know. You know, uh, John Adams, who is among my uh, favorite founders, he was a, a gritty uh, Yankee. Uh, he was an abolitionist his entire life, uh, self-made, uh, a constitutional expert. He was not at the Constitutional Convention. Uh, but he was a, a great and categorical supporter of, of the United States Constitution. Uh, one of his closest friends was a man very unlike him, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, you know, one man would be president of the United States for one term, Adams. Another man, uh, president of the United States for two terms, Jefferson. Jefferson was of the top of the Virginia Regency. Uh, his mother had been a Randolph, you know, one of the first families 
of what became the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, Jefferson uh, was a philosopher. He had a fluid pen. Uh, you know, he, he didn't love in-person meetings uh, so much, but was a very, very uh, effective uh, writer, the, the, the author of our Declaration of Independence. And, and, and in a way that's almost unlikely, Paul, he became very good friends with John Adams. But they were very different men, one a Federalist, one a Jeffersonian uh, Republican. And they had a terrible break uh, in their friendship, one of the worst breaks uh, in any friendship in American history. And a common friend, the most prominent doctor in the colonies, brought them together. And this doctor, by the way, was the most prominent evangelical in continental America, Dr. Benjamin Rush. And he brought these men together. And, and he helped uh, to heal that friendship, this, this very important historic friendship. And Paul, what are the chances that on the 50th anniversary uh, of the Declaration of Independence, uh, July 4th, 1826, that both of these remarkable Americans uh, would go to eternity on the exact same day? Of course, neither could know that the other had died that day, but their friendship had been healed in a providential way, and they absolutely knew that they had been uh, the very top of the inverted pyramid of the importance of the founders uh, in that remarkable period of world history. Uh, that's a remarkable story, and I know, um, Tim, your friend, the late David McCullough, he, loves, he loved to talk about that, and he would say that if a novelist had proposed that, it would be rejected. Nobody would Nobody would would take it, and uh, and yet it really did happen, just the way you described it. Uh, just... uh, it absolutely did, and David uh, was very concerned about cultural amnesia. Paul, uh, he was very concerned that historic and cultural uh, literacy uh, would eventually impact the future of freedom in the United States. And the the important thing to say is that both Adams and Jefferson uh, definitely agreed with David. And I think David went on to write some great books. 1776 is a must read uh, for all those who haven't read it. His biography of John Adams and so many others. But yes, David was very concerned about that. And I think in his own way before uh, going to eternity himself, I think prophetic about the impact uh, of a constitutional republic whose rising generation of young Americans don't know uh, in large numbers the basic narrative of the American experience. Tim, you're obviously surrounded by a lot of people who come from somewhere else. Your somewhere else is uh, Indiana. Um, uh, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Uh, tell us where you were born and and just what was childhood like for young Tim Gegline growing up in, in Hoosier, Hoosierville? That's very kind. I think of my hometown, Fort Wayne, Indiana, which I love and adore. Or, uh, as the center of the universe. Uh, I, I, a very good friend of mine, a fellow Midwesterner uh, who spent most of his life in New York, not Washington, he said his name was Terry. He told me, he said, I'm kind of like a potted plant. He said, uh, I, I, I still retain all the values uh, of the people around whom I was raised. I bring all of those Midwestern values, but I just happen to live in another city. And and uh, I think in large measure that's that that's true of 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 me as well. Uh, I I had the fortune of living uh, at a great time uh, in a great state. I love the Midwest, and uh, and and I had the happy occurrence of being raised in a happy home. Uh, you know, my wonderful uh, parents, outstanding parents. Um, you know, my my extended family. 
And, uh, you know, to bring all of that, I pray God, into the public square has been a great way to spend life. Uh, I, I came here in the summer of 1985, here being Washington, uh, where I'm speaking from today, uh, as an intern for then uh, Senator Dan Quayle. Uh, went on to become the vice president of the United States. At that time, Paul, the youngest uh, U.S. senator. Uh, and the next summer, I interned uh, in the House of Representatives for Dan Coates, another Dan, another one from Indiana. Uh, as Providence cleared his throat, Dan Quayle became the vice president to George H.W. Bush. Uh, and Dan, Quayle, Dan Coates uh, became the new U.S. senator from Indiana. And I ended up working for Dan Coates for 10 years. And next to my own father, He's really the man I, I love and honor and esteem the most, um, a great friend and a great mentor. Married to the love of my life, by the way, uh, Jenny, uh, uh, over uh, 31 years, soon to be 32, uh, and uh, two sons uh, who we really love and adore. So it's um, uh, we, we feel like we, we, we are living and have lived the American dream. And of course, above all, to be one of the vice presidents at the ministry that I consider the most consequential one in all of American history, focus on the family, uh, family, marriage, parenting. Those are the pillars, uh, human life, religious liberty. Uh, but uh, to to be an ambassador uh, and focus his eyes and ears in Washington during this period of American history is a great honor. Tell me a little bit about your dad. I mean, I presume I know how close you are to him to this day. But what was childhood like for you as a young man? with your dad in the home? You know, quite apart from my, uh, and I mean this extraordinary wife, um, if somebody would have asked me, uh, you know, uh, as a young boy, I would have would have answered that my mother and father really were my best friends. Uh, my, fa my, my mother has gone to heaven of five years, uh, but I think of her and uh, love her, uh, you know, as much as I ever have, you know, every every single day. Uh, my my father is my best friend. Uh, he's 86 years old. Uh, if I'm uh, in Washington or if I'm in, uh, you know, New Zealand, uh, we, we, we talk every day. And the wonderful thing, Paul, is we mostly talk about just the things of life. Uh, you know, it may not be consequential in a particular day, but my, my parents um, influenced me in very deep ways. And the biggest way that they influenced me, other than my faith, uh, we grew up uh, in a in a Christian home, but the number one practical, ap applicable way that they impacted me uh, was that they 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 taught me to be curious. Uh, they 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 knew that as a boy I liked to ask questions, and they encouraged that. How did they encourage it? Uh, you know, uh, they they encouraged me uh, to read, to listen to music, to go to the theater, to love sports. Uh, to put a premium on fair play, uh, you know, uh, I could go on and on. And that's how I was raised. And uh, I do in some small or large way. I praise God for that. You talked about how your dad is your best friend and you share a lot of common interests. But how can a parent uh, forge that friendship with a, a son or daughter? I, you know, it's obvious when you're young, they're not your friend. I mean, you're the parent. But as you mature and as you age, You've cultivated that with your dad and your dad with you. What kind of advice do you give to people uh, who are wanting to do that with their own kids? Among all the conversations I've ever had with my uh, father, there are two that are most important to me. Uh, the first one uh, is I remember sitting in the front seat 
of my father's pickup truck. Uh, and I had had a particularly difficult uh, thing happen that afternoon. I'll never forget this. And he said, let's go take a drive. And I thought, a drive? You know, okay. So we, 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 we took a drive. And uh, he wanted to show me uh, in my hometown a couple of places where he had grown up. We drove by a childhood home of his. We drove by his uh, school, his elementary school. I thought, what, what is my dad doing? And, uh, and he finally said, you know, he said, when I was a boy, he said, I had a lot of disappointments. He said, we've just driven through one of my old neighborhoods. He said, Tim, I had a lot of disappointments in that neighborhood. We drove by his elementary school. He told me, he said, I, I had a lot of disappointments in that school. He said, uh, I want you to remember this. He said, I want you to be your own man. He said, I always want you to be confident that you've, that you've uh, you know, set out what it is you believe. Uh, and then I want you to be your own man. He said it a couple of times. He said, and, and, and don't forget this. He said, that's very important. He said, uh, you know, confidence uh, matters. And uh, he said, someone may not always accept your point of view or see the world as you do, but be your own man. And I think to myself, Paul, wow, <laughs> you know, how many times have I replayed that particular uh, conversation uh, in my mind? That was unbelievably important to me that then and now. And, and the second uh, conversation my father uh, had uh, for me with me was uh, in one of the greatest failures I've ever had. Um, you know, by God's grace, I've known a lot of success and I give God the uh, gratitude for all of that. And I've had a lot of failure and, you know, me, myself and I, no excuses. But uh, at the nadir of, of one of those failures, uh, a profound failure, uh, my, uh, my father called me. And he said, uh, I know at this moment you don't want to have a conversation. And I, I said, you're, you're right about that. Uh, I said, this is the, you know, the wrong time for a, a long conversation. He said, that, that's okay. He said, because I, I don't want to have a conversation uh, either. He said, I'm just calling to tell you I love you. And he said, that's all you need to know today. He said, just know that I love you. Uh, I'm, I, I support you. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I loved you before. I love you now. I'll love you in the future. That's all you need to know. And uh, I think the conversation that may have been the shortest telephone conversation I think I've ever had. I think it may have gone on 45 seconds or something. We both said goodbye. Uh, and, and that was that that was it. Uh, but uh, in, across all these years, uh, uh, every conversation I've had with my father, some have been very difficult, by the way. There are just times when fathers and sons agree to disagree. Uh, but every every conversation, though not perfect, but every conversation has always ended with, I love you. Uh, and I think that that's very important because life is very short. Tim, you mentioned your two sons. That's That's beautiful. And I know you love your sons like I've never seen a father love their boys. Uh, Tim and Paul, can you tell us a little bit about them? Uh, they're two of my favorite subjects. Uh, you know, our youngest son is a very gifted uh, classical musician, and music is really a very foundational part of his life. Uh, he's an oboist, uh, and uh, he plays just beautifully. And uh, we have, uh, Jenny and I have spent a lot of time just listening. Uh, uh, and we, uh, our home when he was growing up, uh, was filled with music. Uh, and, uh, and we, we love that. Uh, he was, uh, then and now a, a gifted, uh, pianist, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, we wish we could have you know, all of that back, whether he was practicing or playing, terrific. Uh, he graduated from that to the oboe. The oboe is one of our favorite uh, woodwind instruments. It's a complicated instrument. Uh, it's double reeded and, you know, you have to make your own reeds. Uh, but uh, we've been to many of his concerts and symphonies and recitals. Um, and uh, we wish we could have everyone back. It's uh, it's beautiful. And the way that he expresses himself uh, in in music has a great lyricism uh, that I think really uh, evokes his his personality and the things that he values uh, in life. And our, our oldest son, Tim, uh, doesn't play the oboe or the piano. Uh, he was uh, was and is a very gifted athlete. Uh, but the most important thing with, with his professional life uh, is uh, is uh, life in the public square. Uh, he um, he uh, is passionate about ideas and about policy. Uh, and it's really a, a great thing to have two sons. Um, you love them both equally. I remember when Jenny was pregnant with our second son. And I said to my mother, I said, Mom, I said, I'm very concerned because I love Timmy, our oldest son, uh, heart, body, mind and soul. And my mother said, that's OK. She said, with the second one, you'll just grow. You'll have to grow a new heart. I've never forgotten that. Uh, and uh, I'm still speaking about it. And boy, that's exactly right. You know, you, you whether you have one a child or or whatever the number is. I think for each one, you realize very early on that you don't own your children. Uh, you, you realize that you grow a new heart for each one and that God makes them, uh, you know, uh, very uh, unique. And uh, and that's that's to his glory. You've done such a, a great job navigating family life in a very challenging city, long hours, uh, lots of travel, and yet have remained so close as a family. Um, eight of the, almost eight of those years in Washington were spent uh, at the White House, where you served as uh, uh, in the office of public liaison with President Bush. That's how you and I first became acquainted. Um, do you have any memories of being in the White House on uh, the Fourth of July holiday, whether the, the actual day or kind of leading up to it? I have many memories of being working at the White House for George W. Bush uh, on the Fourth of July, and here's why. Uh, because it is a great tradition at the White House, uh, if it's not COVID, that is, uh, that uh, that uh, you are, uh, if you work for the president, you are invited to uh, come uh, to a picnic on the South Lawn of the White House uh, and to watch the fireworks from the South Lawn. And uh, all of the uh, years that I worked at the White House, uh, we never missed as a family. That became a really special tradition in those years. Um, it could be a, a swampy, molten, hot Fourth uh, of July. It could be a kind of drizzly Fourth of July. But we always wanted to be there, uh, you know, to celebrate, uh, you know, our our nation. And in our family, you know, it was always forgotten country. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, this from our friendship, Paul. I really do have a love affair with America. Uh, you know, I, in part, I think it's very special because my uh, maternal grandfather, to whom I was also very close, came through New York Harbor and Ellis Island uh, from the war-torn part of the Balkans. And so my mother was a first-generation American. And uh, my grandfather absolutely loved being an American. Mm. Tim, your, your optimism is contagious. I love it. I hope our listeners appreciate it and hear it and uh, 
and are encouraged by it because this is a time to celebrate. We do have our challenges. We've always had our challenges as a country, and yet, um, and yet the the union goes on nearing 250 years. Um, and thank you for your service to it, Tim. I'm just so so grateful uh, that we get to be friends and we get to work together and we get to uh, labor alongside each other. Well, I feel exactly the same, and I think it, it's uh, only fitting, especially on a Fourth of July, uh, a conversation of this quality. Uh, you know, uh, for anyone uh, who is down on the country, uh, they ought to take just a few days and stand at the Lincoln Memorial on a summer night. Uh, they ought to go to the south rim of the Grand Canyon and take a look. They ought to go to Valley Forge uh, and uh, and go to that spot. Uh, where Washington and his troops spent time in that incredible, incredible, irredeemable winter, uh, or go uh, to Gettysburg. You know, uh, we're now in the first part of July, Paul. This is the anniversary of Gettysburg, the three-day Battle of Gettysburg. I'll be going there on Saturday, uh, and uh, to stand at the at stand at Little Round Top, and to realize uh, what what happened there. Talk about a precarious nature, uh, you know, for our country. And the reason I'm closing here is that Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, you know, who was really the leader um, of the battle of, of that part of Little Round Top, you know, he said, in great deeds, something abides. When we come back, we're going to have Phil Grucci here. He's the CEO of America's first family of fireworks. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 